Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, we are turning the corner here as we come to the end of our series on the radical parables of Jesus. And if you've learned one thing so far about parables, is that they're kind of weird. Parables are weird. They're, they're odd. They're odd teaching devices. Parables kind of sneak up on you. Um, they, they flip our values. They turn our world upside down. They, they surprise us occasionally. And this is the great thing about the parables of Jesus. They are always, it feels, relevant and somewhat personal. Yet this sense of relevance can also diminish the impact of the parables sometimes. Our modern minds tend to detach the words of Jesus from their literary and historical context, leading us to interpretations that are almost always strictly allegorical in nature. And to be fair, there is nothing wrong with that kind of interpretive method. At the same time, thinking of the words and how they were heard in the first century might lead us to new understandings of how we might glean wisdom and understanding from these little stories that Jesus told. So here's a couple fun facts for you. You can use at parties while you're thinking of the parable this morning. First, this word merchant, merchant, imparto in the Greek. It comes in English with a generally positive connotation. Yet such a positive connotation all but vanishes when the term is used and heard in the biblical context. That Greek word only appears one other time in the New Testament. It's in Revelation 18.3, and I can promise you that it is not complimentary of the merchant. Um, One could say that comparing the kingdom of heaven um, to a merchant in the first century would um, be bad marketing, but it certainly caught everybody's attention without a doubt. Second, this pearl, this pearl, um, to see it merely as just a fine piece of jewelry kind of sells the parable short. Pearls were absolutely priceless in the ancient world. In fact, they were so rare that the majority of the Roman Empire probably would never have seen an actual pearl, much less in person, but most often in an artistic depiction. So with those little nuggets in mind, let us turn our attention now and open our minds and our hearts and hear the words of the parable as told by Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl, one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. together. God in all your tender compassion. God in all your tender compassion. The dawn from on high, it will break on. 
Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like when a shop owner is looking for pearls and finds one, finds one of extraordinary value, and, and then goes and sells everything he has to buy that one pearl. One of the most important lessons in life that we can learn, but yet also one of the most difficult lessons, is that we can't have it all. To be human is to want this and to want that and to want the other. To be human is to try to do everything all at once and to be all things to all people and to be pulled in a million different directions by the million different shiny things that lure us in those directions. And we do this even as we know that we cannot have it all and we cannot do it all and we cannot be it all. And don't we wish that weren't true? We often in life delay that truth and knowing that truth for as long as we possibly can until we finally discover that we have just failed at trying to have it all and be it all and do it all. And it begins to become uncomfortably, sometimes even painfully clear to us that we must now ultimately choose. We have to choose between what is good and what is better what is valuable and what's priceless, what is admirable and what is incomparable. I read recently about a successful investment guru who discovered this truth the hard way. Mohammed El-Arim was the CEO of a $2 trillion fund called PIMCO. Maybe you've heard of it before. Uh, Ella Ryan uh, was making upwards of $100 million a year, and one day he abruptly resigned from his position to spend more time with his 10-year-old daughter. And this decision came on the heels of this argument that he had with said daughter. He was yelling at her to go brush her teeth, and she refused, and then he pulled the uh, familiar, I'm your father and you'll do what I say routine, to which she responded, hold please. She retreated to her bedroom and produced a a list of the 25 most important events, birthdays, school events, recitals that her father had missed 
due to work obligations. I mean, the kid dropped the mic in that moment. And the following day, El Arian resigned. He became a full-time father. He raised that daughter into adulthood, and he is now a very well-known economist. You can't have it all or be it all or do it all. Eventually, life or God or your spouse or a friend or a sponsor or a therapist or your 10-year-old says to you, you must choose. And that is so hard to hear. But I think it's even more difficult to do, to choose between work and family, this commitment or that commitment, to choose between doing your part and finally taking a breather, to choose between pursuing your personal dreams and fulfilling your family obligations, to choose between investing in yourself and giving yourself away. Does this sound familiar? We wake up and we say, okay, God, today I've got a great plan. 30 minutes of yoga. I'm going to read a chapter of my book. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to learn Portuguese. I'm going to call my mother. I'm going to volunteer at the food bank. I'm going to be a great employee and a great spouse and a loving parent and a caring friend. I'm going to start eating right. And God, I know I haven't yet gotten out of bed yet, but, uh, but I got a great plan, right? And before your feet even touch the floor, your dog is thrown up all over the carpet. You have three text messages from your boss saying, can you work late for me today to finish that project? And your kid has COVID for the 40th time. And then it suddenly occurs to you that you just completely slept through your alarm clock. The, the writer Madeline L'Engle said it's the ability to choose that makes us human. But choosing is so hard. It's hard not just because we have this abundance of choices before us, but also because every day it seems like life itself is choosing for us. So much of life calls the shots for us and pulls our chain. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, I think he was right when he said brutally, unless it wills one thing, he said, a person's life is sure to become one of wretched mediocrity and of pitiful misery. It's pretty harsh stuff, but it's true, isn't it? Purity of heart, said Kierkegaard, is to will one thing. I think this is why Jesus tells the story that you heard read today. Heaven on earth, he said, is like a merchant who spends her entire life searching for fine pearls, I love this little fun fact that Jerry didn't bring it up, but I'm glad. The Greek word for pearl, curiously, is margaritas. <laughs> Don't let your imaginations run too far with that fun fact. Uh, Jesus wasn't comparing the kingdom of heaven or heaven on earth to a margarita, but to a gemstone. This particular jeweler is an expert in gemstones. She knows her business. I know in the story it says it's a he, but I saw a Barbie movie yesterday, and I'm convinced (laughs) this is a she. From time to time, uh, she hears these rumors about divers who returned from the sea having found these amazing pearls. 
And so from time to time she will go and investigate because this is her business. She's looking for the finest of pearls. Invariably she comes back disappointed. None of them pan out. She has this trained eye and she is no fool. She is quick to pull the trigger when she sees the right pearl. Which is why when she hears of another report of a diver producing an extraordinary pearl, she goes with guarded curiosity because she's heard it a million times. And yet she goes. And when she arrives, she inspects this pearl. And it is unlike anything she has ever laid eyes on. She has finally found what she has been looking for her entire life. This, she knows, is the mother of pearls. This happens. In 2006, a Filipino fisherman discovered the largest natural pearl on record. 75 pounds, two and a half feet wide, uh, two feet long, 170,000 carats, and he discovered it in a giant clam. I don't know how he got it up, but when he did, he hid this pearl under his bed as a good luck charm. And it wasn't discovered until 10 years later when he was moving out of his apartment and he needed help lifting it. It's today valued at around $200 million. I once found a pearl, not quite like that one, but a true story. We were living in San Diego. I had taken Lori for dinner one night to celebrate our 20th anniversary. I know, it's pretty cool. And I ordered oysters on the half shell. They came out, yeah, look, I didn't even like oysters at the time. I uh, had no appetite for them, but the, the guy in the table next to me said, hey, they have oysters on special and you should get some. And I succumbed to the peer pressure. And so I ordered two and they came out on this shaved ice platter and garnished and these two gooey, slimy bivalves. And I scooped one into my mouth and uh, began to chew with feigned delight, pretending to enjoy it when I felt this unsettling crunch between my back molars. This is a true story. I assumed this was a tooth, so I instinctively, casually reached in to pull it out, and what I pulled out was not a tooth, but this generous, translucent pearl. Oh. At which time I pulled the swaggiest spousal maneuver ever. (laughs) I cleaned it off. I reached across the table. I handed it to Lori and said, happy anniversary. (laughs) The coolest moment of my life, I swear. But in Jesus' parable, and this is what separates this parable from the other parables about discovering valuable things. This pearl is not accidentally found. This woman has been looking for this pearl all her life, and she's finally found it. She's put in the work. The asking price, it turns out, is pretty high, but she knows it's worth everything she has, and so she goes back, and she puts her whole jewelry shop on the market. I mean, it's one of those everything-must-go sales, right? Customers come in, they come out, the shells are emptied, and she has cash in hand, and she buys the pearl, and it's more wonderful than she could ever have imagined. But the real point of the story is, it's actually more attainable than anyone could have imagined. Anyone could have bought the pearl. It was for sale. 
But nobody thought it worth it. Nobody had the vision or that keenness of insight to say, that's it, except for her. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's just begin with this. It is everything the ancient prophets in Hebrew Scripture said. And it is everything that Jesus came to live and to die for. Shalom. Peace. Completeness, well-being, contentment. Abundance, so that nobody has need. Happiness and justice and a lot of laughter and dancing and quite enough food and wine to go around for everyone to be able to sit at the table of God. Because when, as Jesus preaches, when heaven finally comes on earth, no one will be in need and everyone will have enough. Enemies will become friends. Strangers will become like siblings and all will be well and all manner of things in the world will be well. And Jesus asks the question, isn't that what we are working for? And who wouldn't give anything and everything to have it? Who wouldn't cash out, sell out, empty the shelves, give everything they have for heaven on earth? C.S. Lewis, in his famous screw tape letters, reminds us that the trap for many of us is that we live a life of too many pursuits. In that fictional book, the older demon Screwtape is writing to his little younger nephew, Wormwood, and he says that the way to ruin people is to make them think that Christianity is just another part of their lives rather than the center of their being. And so he says, nurse him onto the stage at which religion becomes merely a part of his life. And once you have made the world an end and faith only a means, you've almost won. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. So what end are we pursuing? Is it merely a worldly end or is it heaven on earth? And heaven on earth not just for us but for those whose lives every day feel more like a living hell. This parable is challenging because it invites us to look inwardly and to ask ourselves, what's getting, number one, in the way of me experiencing heaven on earth within me? What is the impairment, the the impediment to experiencing peace and a sense of wholeness and the true presence of the divine within. Am I trying to be it all and do it all and have it all at the expense of my own happiness and well-being? But Jesus once said, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? That pearl of great price is your soul. We can't have it all, Jesus says. The prophet Isaiah once said, Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? What does satisfy is that pearl. We can't do it all. Jesus says no one can serve two masters because loyalty to one will feed contempt for the other. We can't be it all or have it all. 
Sometimes the most important work we can do in life is to learn or figure out what we have to take away. This is the art of elimination. Michelangelo said that his David was in the stone clamoring to be freed. You ever feel like your soul is clamoring to be freed? Freed from the trappings of too many pursuits or the prison of too many commitments. I'm a huge fan of Rick Rubin. Rubin recently wrote a book called The Creative Act. In fact, he was on 60 Minutes a couple months ago, I think. Rubin is all about the art of elimination and reducing life to its simplest pieces. And he preaches often that less is more. Rubin, if you don't know, is a music producer. He began his career in the early 90s with some of the greatest hip-hop artists on the planet. LL Cool J, Run DMC, Beastie Boys. Since then, he's worked with Tom Petty, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and the legendary Johnny Cash. He actually, Rubin, helped resurrect Cash's career. By the early 1990s, Johnny Cash, his career was pretty much over. He was forgotten by the music industry, dropped by his record label 30 years. He also was into his 60s and declining in health and had a little bit of a drug problem. And that's when Rubin reached out to help. And Rubin suggested to Johnny Cash that he start to play without a band. No backup singers, no other musicians, just you, your guitar, and a microphone. Rubin then landed Cash this, this concert at the famous Viper studio in L.A. And Cash walked out terrified because this was the first time in his 40-year career that he had nobody else with him, just himself, a guitar, and a microphone. But by the end of that evening, that performance, Cash launched a whole new music career. And people said, who were there, that it was the best performance they had ever witnessed. And what was Ruben's secret? Well, he helped Cash strip away all the trappings and stagings that had been a part of his life for so long. In the process, Cash found his real voice. This voice that had been there all along, but had been trapped. Not only that, but Cash found peace and sobriety and a new career in life. You can't do everything. You can't be everything. You can't have everything. Ruben's advice is wonderful. Zoom in, he says, and obsess. Zoom out and observe. We get to choose. What trappings are getting in the way of you experiencing peace in the divine? Once we figure that out, the parable invites us to look outward at the world and to ask, what is that one pearl that we want to give ourselves to and work for? Where can we go find it? How can we work for it, this heaven on earth? We look for that pearl that for us is priceless, that we will do anything for. What is it for you? Is it childhood literacy? That's wonderful. Is it food security for families? Huge. Is it hunger or homelessness and trying to find people's shelter? Is it equity and justice and inclusion? Is it gun safety? Is it climate change? What the parable tells us is we don't have to do it all, and we can't. We have to pick one. 
and do it. It will require some difficult choices for us to do that. We have to give something up. Michael Porter of the Harvard Business Review says that we live in this culture that fosters what he calls straddling. We all think we can just do it all and we don't have to make a choice. Um, We don't have to say no to anything. But true impact in the world requires a trade-off. Because a little here and a little there will only get us a mile wide and an inch deep. So sometimes the most important work we can do is to figure out what we can live without, what we can take away, and what we must trade away. It helps to remember, I think, the lesson of the pearl itself, which is this profoundly organic process. As you may know, a pearl is created when a minuscule foreign object like just a simple grain of sand, becomes trapped within the shellfish. And in self-defense, the mollusk protects itself by spinning this small sack of calcium carbonate around it over and over again. And as it hardens, and then it wraps more around it, and it takes something like three years to build a beautiful pearl. It's out of this space of vulnerability and uncertainty and fragility that something of beauty comes. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It takes patience and commitment over a long enough timeline. And we humans have to overcome our need to move on, to be short-sighted, to be impatient. We always want to take on something else rather than stick with what's most important. And when we do that, we just settle for a bunch of small pearls and we miss the one that is of great price. Dorothy Day, she was born in 1897. She devoted her whole life to this pearl for her, which was to live with and work for the poorest of the poor in New York's Lower East Side. Dorothy Day died in 1980. She lived a long life. She was called the, uh, the American Mother Teresa. And near the end of her life, the psychologist uh, Robert Coles asked her, why, didn't, why don't you just write a memoir? And she said, well, I tried. I sat down and I took a piece of paper out and I wrote at the top of it, a life remembered. And she said, then I just sat there. And I thought of Christ and his vision and his visit to us so many years ago. And I said to myself, she said, that my great luck was to have had Christ on my mind for so long. How can you buy that one pearl, a great price, the heaven on earth? With Christ on your mind, you go and you stay there. Our takeaways for today, you don't need to have it all or do it all or be it all, and that's wonderful. Sometimes the most important work we can do in life is to figure out what to take away. And heaven on earth requires patience and commitment over a long enough timeline. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church 
or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.